think this is one of those moments where the, the glory of heaven collides with the brokenness of the world and the faith that comes out of this story and the compassion of Jesus is not something that necessarily needs to be taught as much as it needs to be felt and, and, and experienced and just kind of listen to. So I'm going to try and help us get into the story uh, this morning and uh, see what Jesus saw uh, and the other folks in the story and experience it in a way that perhaps uh, speaks to our hearts maybe a little bit more than our, than our minds this morning. But, uh, but verses 40 through 43 of Luke chapter 8. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Excuse me. Uh, let me begin this morning by introducing you to the key players. If this, if this were a movie and we were watching as, as the credits began to roll across the screen at the beginning of the movie, uh, these three people would be, the, would be the people that got their name on the marquee all by themselves. Uh, and then there's some other folks that would be the co-stars. But I want to talk to you about the three key uh, players in this event. The first person is a name you've probably heard before if you've been to Green Tree, and that's the name of Jesus. This is the person who, according to Luke, is the self-proclaimed son of God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, you don't have to agree with that. You do not have to uh, admit that Jesus is God. But what you do have to admit is that Jesus believed that he was God and taught and preached as if he were, in fact, the Son of God. Early on in Luke, when Jesus is at the synagogue in Nazareth, uh, he's handed a scroll, the, the kind of the Old Testament Bible of his day, and he opened it up to uh, the book of Isaiah, and he began to read it. And it was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And Jesus finished reading it. He rolled the scroll back up and he handed it back to the attendant. And everybody watched him for the sermon. And Jesus said, today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, hi, I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. (laughs) I'm the one about whom the whole Old Testament has been written in preparation for my coming. And I'm here today. Jesus believed and taught that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, and he demanded that people put their faith in him alone for salvation. He said, there's no other way you're going to to be in relationship with God. There's no way you're going to live forever and eternity in God's presence by your own good works, by your own efforts, by believing in anything other than I am the savior and that my death and my resurrection purchase your salvation. Now, most recently in the Gospel of Luke, as Anton talked about last Sunday, Jesus had been in a boat with his disciples, and a huge storm had come up. If you were here last week, you remember this. And in the midst of the storm, the disciples, who were used to being on the Lake of Galilee and used to being in storms, realized that this was really the big one and that they were going to drown. And they woke Jesus up and they said, you know, we're in big trouble. And Jesus stood up and said to the wind and the waves, be still. And they were still. And Luke says that Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos that Jesus is the Lord of physical nature and all that is contained therein. And the story in between that story and the one we're looking at today, there is an encounter that Jesus has with a guy called the Gerizim demoniac. And I'm not going to, I skipped that because I preached on it uh, about a year ago out of the gospel of Mark. 
But in that encounter, Jesus runs into a guy who is so out of his mind, he doesn't even know his name. When Jesus asks him, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. He is oppressed by who knows how many evil spirits. And these beings were tormenting this man and had been torturing this man for as long as anybody could possibly remember. And Jesus said, come out of that man. And they came out. Jesus proved himself to be Lord of the spiritual world as well. So say what you will about Jesus, but if you're going to speak on his behalf, make sure you speak correctly. Jesus claimed to be the son of God, and each and every one of us have to wrestle with that truth. The second person who would have their name up on the marquee is this uh, synagogue ruler whose name is Jairus. Now, Jairus is a good guy. Jairus is, is a civic leader. He's a, he's a service-minded man. He, he wants to care for others. He wants to make his community a, a better place for people to live. Uh, he's well-placed in the community. He's a person of some influence. He's also a person of some responsibility. As a synagogue ruler, he was the guy that made sure that everything was in order for worship every Sabbath. He was the one that made sure that the priests knew what their responsibilities were, who was offering which sacrifices on which day, who was going to teach on which day. He was in charge of, uh, of setting up the whole thing. This is a, an important area of responsibility. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we set up and take down every Sunday at Green Tree. Except now that summer's here, we don't have to take the chairs down. They get to stay up all summer, so that's really great. But uh, we put people in charge of that who are really detail-oriented and really, really responsible. The people that are the, the captains of the set-up takedown teams are, are folks that know exactly where everything goes. And they're really good-hearted guys. They get here early, and they stay late, and they make it all happen. That's the kind of guy Jairus was. He was a person that folks looked up to in his community. But we learned something else about Jairus in this passage. We learned that Jairus has a daughter. She's 12 years old. She's about to enter into her teenage years. Uh, she's been uh, in their home for these 12 years, born and raised, a grown up in the family. She's the only child. She's the only daughter of Jairus and his wife. And she's dying. Do you get that? She's dying. Moms and dads, put yourself in Jairus' shoes for just a minute. Those of you that have children, can you imagine getting that news? Maybe it was a blood disorder. Maybe it was some kind of cancer that the scriptures don't say. But one morning, their little girl woke up and she didn't look very good. Her face was maybe a little bit ashen. Maybe she was coughing blood and they called the local doctors. And maybe because Jairus was a man of some authority and, and, and a place of prominence, maybe they were able to call on some specialists. And probably for several months, maybe for, for a year or more, they've been trying to find out what's wrong with this precious little daughter of theirs. It's their only child. She's their only child, and she is dying. I promise you on that day, Jairus didn't care about all of his, all of his responsibility, all of his prestige in the community. He was tunnel visioned on the fact that he was about to lose one of the most precious gifts that God had ever given him. And so we meet the synagogue ruler, this fine man, Jairus, who's filled with fear, probably some anger, probably a lot of grief, probably a lot of question. Maybe, maybe he's numb. Maybe he's just, he's just resigned to the fact that this is the way it's going to be. But, but maybe there's one last chance because he's heard that Jesus has come to town. And so Jairus steps into this encounter with the one who calls himself the son of God. And then the third character who would have 
uh, her name on the marquee, except her name is not known. She's simply known as the woman. And as Jesus interacts with Jairus and, and Jairus says, here's the situation. Would you please come to my home with my daughter? Uh, she's dying and, and we can't do anything about her, but maybe you can help her. Uh, Jesus on his way to help Jairus or to interact with him uh, is encountered by this woman. We find out that her illness has lasted about as long as Jairus's daughter's life has lasted. About 12 years, she has had this terrible disease. She's been financially ruined over this disease. She's bankrupted herself, spending dollar after dollar after dollar on doctors to try and find something, some kind of cure, only to be disappointed time and time and time again. Now, this is not just an ordinary uh, sickness that you kind of, you know, do your best and just go on with your life and everything else is pretty normal, except you don't feel good and you've got this little problem. This is a disease that moved her out of her community. She was an outcast. Because it was thought to be a contagious disease and she was, she was called one who was unclean, she couldn't go to the synagogue and worship. She couldn't show up on Sunday morning and be with her friends. She couldn't go to the marketplace and talk to the, to the other ladies in, the, in, in her neighborhood and her friends and her family members. She had to stay away when she walked down the street. She had to call out, unclean, unclean so that when no one would come near her. She never, ever in, interacted with Jairus in her life, even though he was a synagogue ruler in that town, because she couldn't go to the synagogue. She was a woman who lived her life all by herself. Her body was, in fact, her prison. And she's now destitute. And she's despairing. And she's in this mass of humanity, this sea of people that are swarming around Jesus. And now... Uh, the synagogue ruler, who is a man of great prestige, and this common woman who is now destitute have one very specific thing in common. They both are facing the greatest need of their lives. I don't know what would be a greater need than facing the death of one of my children. I can't imagine what it would be like to be sick for 12 years and not have anybody be able to come along and put their arms around you and tell you they love you and they're so sorry that you're struggling. I'm the worst patient in our household. If I get sick, everybody's got to wait on me hand and foot because I'm sure that I'm on my deathbed, you know, because I've got a fever of about, you know, 94.6 or so. I mean, you know, it's, I'm just a big baby. I can't imagine the struggle this woman went through day after day, week after week, being completely isolated from friends and family. You know, pain really is the great equalizer. It's the one thing that these two folks have in common. And they meet up with this one named Jesus who calls himself the Messiah. Verses 44 through 46. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. In this uh, ocean of humanity, so to speak, you can, you can picture Jesus walking through the small streets of this town. And in Jesus' day, the streets were probably maybe half as wide as, as one, of our, uh, one of our sections of, of chairs, you know, maybe 12, 15 feet wide. And you can imagine hundreds of people pressing in on Jesus, just trying to shake his hand as he goes by, reach over one of the apostles and, and touch him or pat him on the back. And you, you've seen pictures of presidents as they move through crowds or candidates and folks are reaching out and they're trying to shake hands and hug babies. And it's just chaos. It's just nuts. And in this, this process, Jesus is trying to make his way to Jairus's house. You can only imagine how Jairus feels. 
He, he wants to get Jesus home as quick as he can because his little girl is on her deathbed and it's bad enough we have a crowd on our hands. It's bad enough that we're trying to struggle through this, but all of a sudden, Jesus stops, stops dead. And he says something that is absolutely absurd. He says in a crowd of hundreds of people, somebody touched me. Have <laughs> you ever seen your kids, you know, with each other? You know, he touched me. Stop touching me. Quit touching me. Well, it's not like there's two people in a room and they're bugging each other. There are hundreds of people and Jesus says, somebody touched me. And you go, yeah, <laughs> of course somebody touched you. He says, who is it that's touched me? And Peter, who's always, you know, the least fearful of putting his foot in his mouth. You know, Peter, Peter kind of states the obvious, you know, Lord, uh, well, first of all, Jesus says, who touched me? And everybody denies it. Now, how about that? <laughs> you're trying to crowd in on Jesus. You're trying to get close to him. And he stops and he says it in a way that's like, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. <laughs> Jesus says, hold it, hold it. Who touched me? Not me. <laughs> I didn't, Lord. <laughs> it was him. You know? And Peter goes, Jesus, with all due respect, <laughs> are you nuts? <laughs> They're pressing in on you. That Greek word is like they're crushing you, Jesus. How could you possibly ask this question? Well, here's why Jesus asked the question. Jesus asked the question because he recognizes faith even when it's unspoken. And he's going to point it out even when others don't see it. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus says, I perceive that a power has gone out from me. He realizes that someone has reached out to him in an act of, of faith. And even though he didn't see that person, he knew what had happened in an instant. And he's going to call attention to it because he wants, he wanted the people in this crowd. And he wants you and me this morning to see faith because it's the one thing that really gets him excited. It's the one thing that really gets Jesus's attention is when someone responds to faith and he won't let this go unnoticed. So Jesus stops. He says, who is it that touched me? Now, again, I want to put myself in Jairus' shoes because Jairus obviously can't wait to get Jesus to his house. And now we have this unwelcome interruption. Does it really matter, Jesus? My daughter, my little girl is dying. Can we talk about this later? Come on, we got to go. Jesus says, nope, we're going to deal with this right now. Verses 47 and 48 says this, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. When, when this woman knows that she's found out, when she knows that, that uh, she's going to have to step forward or the whole procession is going to stop and, and who knows what's going to happen next. And she probably already realizes that Jesus knows that it was her that touched her. She comes forward uh, and she confesses. But she doesn't just say, I'm the one that, that, that touched you. But she tells in the presence of all the people why. She tells her life story. <laughs> We love telling life stories at Green Tree. Probably 10 or 12 times a year, there'll be somebody up here on Sunday morning who isn't the pastor, just kind of talking about their life and something that God did that was significant in their lives. And she tells her life story, and this is an embarrassing life story. This isn't a life story you share in public. You don't talk about this kind of disease. You don't talk about being untouchable in front of polite folk, as it were. But she simply speaks the truth. And now Jesus, who has been uh, the one directing everything, kind of steps back and he simply listens. Jesus becomes part of the crowd. 
And so she explains why she touched him. I, I reached out and touched him and ex- explained more thoroughly in, in Mark's gospel because I knew if I could touch just the outer edge of his garment, I would be healed. In other words, I had faith in Jesus. I don't have any faith in my physicians anymore. I've given up hope and everything else, but this is my one last shot. And so I'm trusting that if I could just get close enough and touch him, I will be healed. And Jesus listens to her story. And then he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I think what Jesus is saying, saying, you know what? You got it right. It's about faith. You have found the key to having a relationship with me, and I welcome you into my family. Notice the word that he uses, daughter. This is a woman who doesn't have any family relationships. This is a woman who's an outcast. This is a woman who, who societally speaking, is orphaned. She's all by herself all the time. Now to have someone call her daughter. Only person in the New Testament that's recorded that Jesus used that term. You know why he used it? Because that's what she needed to hear. Jesus speaks to us in our place of need. He speaks to us at that point of pain. Think about being alone by yourself for 12 years. And think about somebody saying, daughter, you got it right. Welcome home. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In other words, now you're welcomed back into the world. I thought about these verses as I read them. And I thought about this this tone that Jesus has, Not not just the words, but I think the tone. And I believe he was smiling when he said it may have even hugged her if he could have gotten close enough to her. She was at his feet. He may have just lifted her up and held her hand. But I think about all the people in the world that feel orphaned. Think about all the people in our community, probably maybe people in this room this morning that feel like, you know what? Nobody knows my pain. If people did know my pain, I, I, I keep it hidden. If people knew my sin, if people knew my struggle, I certainly wouldn't be the one that was welcomed. I, I would certainly be the outcast. And I wonder if a church really could have this kind of attitude. I I really do wonder if collectively it is possible to be so controlled by the Spirit of God that no matter who comes into our midst with whatever they may be carrying, fear, doubt, anxiety, frustration, hatred, whatever it might be, could actually find a group of people that say, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Let's talk about faith. Let us introduce you to Jesus. I think it would be a pretty remarkable place. Verses 49 and 50, Luke goes on to tell us this. While he was still speaking, now Jesus is saying to her, your, your, your faith has made you well, go in peace. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, now he's speaking to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, answered, answered uh, to, uh, to uh, Jairus, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now, a lot of stuff going on in just a couple of verses here. The first thing is that, again, putting yourself in Jairus' shoes, it probably was hopeful for him to hear this woman's story. Okay, I'm looking to Jesus for the healing of my daughter. Now I've seen a healing right in front of my eyes. This is great. I think I've come to the right place. But at the same time, Jairus is thinking that. He's got to be thinking, okay, Jesus, good heal. Let's go, buddy. (laughs) We got to get to the next healing. We got to get down the street. Come on, Jesus, we got to go. What's that? My daughter's dead. (laughs) How do you deal with that? How do you handle that kind of emotion? I mean, I guess he knew it was coming. 
you know, she was on her deathbed. It's not like he found out that, that she was in an automobile accident or something. It didn't, you know, it was a total shock. But how do you handle the death of a child? Jairus has come to his moment of truth. <laughs> this is his chance. Because now his faith, whatever faith may have been there, is attacked. <laughs> because now it's hopeless, right? Isn't that what the messenger has said? Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Now, I'm going to pick on the messenger for just a minute. Not because I think he was a really bad person, because I find myself in the messenger a lot. But I think he missed something here. Or she, whoever it was, doesn't say. Actually, it does in the Greek. It's, it's male. Sorry. It's a guy. Um, he was being polite. He was, you know, don't bother the teacher. Don't take up too much of his time. That's a, that's a nice thing to say. But what's he not getting? That Jesus can't raise the dead. <laughs> he could heal sickness, but death, Jesus, that's a, that's a whole different story. You know, get, getting a little girl up, if she's got a bad fever, we think he could do that. But he had no faith to believe that Jesus could raise the dead. And now Jairus is at a point of decision. Because Jairus is either going to leave the teacher alone and be polite and go home and bury his daughter, or he's going to keep believing. And Jesus doesn't leave Jairus alone with this decision, which is an absolute profound statement. Jesus looks at at Jairus. He says, don't fear. How do you tell a parent who just lost a child not to fear? Think about this. This little girl's gone. You know, this time next year, we're going to remember this is the day she died. Every year that would have been her birthday, we're going to remember that. Five or eight years from now, we would have, we will be saying, you know what, this maybe would have been about the time she was getting married. Fifteen years down the road, he said, man, you know, we probably would have had grandchildren by now if she had lived. How do you tell a person who's facing the worst grief you could possibly face, don't fear? Well, it's because he says the next thing, only believe. Uh, In the Greek, it's keep on believing. In other words, Jairus, whatever got you to me in the first place, whatever motivated you to come and fall at my feet and say, please come and heal my daughter who is dying, you keep going in that direction. That's faith. Jairus, this is your moment to decide. Will you keep trusting in me? If you will, if you'll trust me, I promise you, she will be well. So they continue on this journey to go now and not meet a little girl who's sick, but to meet death itself. Verse 51 through 53. And when he came to the house, this is Jesus, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James. This is actually the first time Jesus pulls those three guys aside. He does it several other times, but this is the first one. And the father and the mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. You can just picture this crowd around the house, maybe in the living room and in the kitchen and and sitting on the front porch and surrounding the house. People are weeping and mourning because this little one is dead. And Jesus says to them, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. Jesus finds himself surrounded by skeptics. He offers them an opportunity to believe. He says, don't weep. She's not dead but sleeping. Now, Jesus knew she was dead. Jesus isn't using uh, some kind of, you know, trick things. You know, you guys just misdiagnosed her. You know, she really is just asleep. 
We're going to go wake her up. Jesus knew she was dead. He's using metaphorical language, but he's giving all these folks a chance to do what he just gave Jairus a chance to do, which is believe in him. And that's the chance that Jesus gives you this morning. It's a chance that Jesus gives me this morning. It's a chance he gives you every day. Every day you wake up, Jesus says to you, believe in me. Keep on trusting. Whatever got you this far, just keep on believing. And you and I are going to do just fine. And yet one of the responses to that offer is a response of skepticism. The opportunity to believe is not embraced. These folks don't fall at the feet of Jesus. These people don't worship Jesus. These people don't say with confidence, of course the Lord is here now and he's going to be the one who will raise her from the dead. But they actually laugh at him. This is the only time in the New Testament that that term is used, that laughing term is used, uh, that people laughed at Jesus. When he's on the cross, they scoffed at him. It's a different word. But here they actually got a kick out of it. (laughs) Come on, Jesus. Who are you trying to kid? You know, that's a pretty cruel joke to play on this family that's suffering so much. And they laugh at him. And I often think also that even though I call myself a disciple of Christ, how often am I skeptical of the power of Jesus in my own life? Verses 54 to 56, the end of the story. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, again, there's, there's so much in these couple of verses, we could do a whole sermon, but, but let's get at least a couple of things. First of all, Jesus was not put off by the unbelief of the crowd. And obviously, Jairus still believes because he goes into the room with Jesus. He believes that the ruler of the cosmos has come into his home. He believes that the king of all that is seen and all that is unseen is actually in his presence. The one that the winds and the waves obey, the complete master of the spiritual world, could even perhaps in his wildest dreams command death to depart, and it would do so. In Jairus' moment of faith, he continues to believe. And Jesus, with the authority that only the God of the universe has, says to this child, child, arise. Now, another great thing about this verse is that that's the language of a parent calling to a child to get out of bed in the morning. You know, moms and dads, how you call on the kids, you know, and sometimes you call once and sometimes you call five or six times. And finally, it's, would you please get out of bed? You know, it's, it gets a little more agitated as it goes on. The language that Jesus used here is like a parent saying to a little one, hey, hey, sleepyhead, come on. It's time to get up. It's actually the language you would use to a smaller child. He's very, very tender with this little girl. Come on, it's time to get up. Why is it time to get up? It's time to get up because the king is here. The king who has authority over death has spoken his power and his truth into these circumstances and her spirit returns in obedience to the God of the universe and it dwells that little girl and she opens her eyes and she gets up at once. That's the authority of Jesus. But notice also the, the kindness of Jesus. He directs that something be given to her to eat, you know, which is kind of interesting. You know, I guess dying makes you hungry. I, I'm not sure, but he says, you know, she's, she's hungry. Make sure that we give her something to eat. And then it says her parents were amazed. Now, I want you to get this because I think sometimes we have, a, we have a misconception about faith. I think sometimes we think the people that have faith are the people that walk around and go, they never doubt. Of course, everything will work out. Jesus is the king. He's the Lord. I have no doubts. I have no fears. I have no anxiety. And I'm never surprised when God does something. (laughs) 
Jairus had faith, didn't he? He came and he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, please come heal my daughter. That's faith. When the servant came and Jesus said, don't listen to him, you just trust in me. Jairus said, probably with fear and trembling and tears, okay. It's getting kind of scary, Jesus, but, but okay. When they got to the house and everybody was laughing at him, Jairus said, I'll, I'll go, I won't stay out here and laugh. I'll go into the room. And then when she gets up, he's amazed. <laughs> Shows you how little faith we really need for Jesus to work in our lives. <laughs> Jesus is so compassionate that even the parent who is surprised is allowed to experience his power. And then he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I, that's kind of the comical part of this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Our daughter was raised from the dead. We're not going to tell anybody. We're going to just, you know, what happens when she goes to school tomorrow? <laughs> Is that not a bit problematic, Lord? And, and I don't think Jesus was saying, you know, whatever you do, keep her hidden in this room the rest of her life. I think what Jesus was saying was you don't need to shout it from the rooftops. Her life will be my witness. I don't, I don't need you to go and testify about it. The power is right there, seen in her physical body. You just let that speak for itself, and everything else will be okay. And even in a moment of his glory, he cares for this little one. I think that's an amazing story. (laughs) I think it's an incredible story that, again, as I said, doesn't need to be taught. I think it needs to be experienced. Because you know what? There's a million reasons for you and me not to have faith. There, there are tons of experiences that you've had in your life and I've had in my life that from the world's perspective scream at us to believe that there's a God that loves you who died on the cross for your sins and is promising you eternity is pie in the sky. That's nuts. And it's like Mark said, it's the opiate of the people. It's absolutely absurd. But the Bible says there's only one way to approach God and it's through faith in Christ Jesus. And this story is not a story about Jairus's faith. This story is not a story about the woman's faith. This is a story that asks you the question and me the question, where is your faith? Do you believe? I believe that faith is a child of desperation. (laughs) That faith is born when we come to the end of ourselves. And Jairus and the woman certainly found themselves falling at the feet of Jesus. They were certainly desperate, desperate people. Uh, Katie and I were taking a walk yesterday, our daughter, who's home from college, and she was telling me about her Bible study that she led at uh, at campus last uh, year. I think she has seven or eight girls in a Bible study together, and I don't remember the name of the book they were studying, but it was a a book about all kinds of problems that happen in life and and how, as a Christian, you face those. And she said, you know, Dad, every time I teach the next chapter, whatever happened in that chapter, whatever tough thing happened, would end up happening to me. She goes, you know what? I don't think I want to teach that book next year. I think next year the book I'm going to teach is going to be called Happily Married and No Worries in Life. (laughs) And maybe that's what will happen to me. And I I smile and I, I, you know, I get it. I don't want problems. I don't want struggles. I don't want challenges. I want life to be easy. But the facts are it's not because we live in a broken world. What happened to Katie this last year is not anything that should surprise her or any of us. And I know it doesn't surprise her because it's a world that demands faith, because it's a world filled with desperate people. Friends, you're going to die. Your life is this long and it's gone. Same as mine. And yet Jesus has provided for all of eternity. But the option has to come down to, will I believe? If faith is a child that's born out of desperation, then in order for me to get it, I have to have 
the mindset of Jairus. I have to be desperate for Jesus. And I think that's the ultimate question this morning. And if I'm not desperate for Jesus, I would say to you humbly and with all kindness I possibly can, then you don't understand your circumstances. Because we are all desperate people who are lost and broken because of sin and all who are in need of the healing power of Jesus. And one day, Jesus will say to his children, arise, the morning has come. The night is over. Now we celebrate eternity together. And on that day when he calls... (laughs) Will we have had the faith in our lives that allow us to answer and to respond because our trust is in him? Let's pray.